check out buymeacoffee.com backslash stuff a podcast. Podcasting can be fun and stressful and fun. But like with anything, there are costs that do come with podcasting. Things such as paying for the hosting website and the editing software and marketing and little odds and ends. If you enjoy the content you hear at the Stuff Up Podcast and you want to help support, check out buymeacoffee.com backslash stuffuppodcast. Every little bit helps. Thanks a bunch. Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. Let's talk about psychology. How fun is psychology? Well, you'll find out as we dive right into the conversation with Benson Fox. All right. So I am here with Benson Fox, owner of Fox Coaching, and a million other things. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're also studying to be a doctorate, a psychologist. Correct. But you have a whole bunch of things. Can you tell us what you're all about? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. But I think, that, I think that's better than what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my name is Benson Fox. Um, I'm 26. I'm Orthodox Jew. I have a bachelor's of Talmudic law, which I studied in Israel for four years. I came back to the United States. I I live in New York. I um, then I got into psychology, so I started to do. I did some crisis counselor work for Regesh for Crisis Text Line, as well as I did mentoring work. I, did, I was a youth director for four years, um, and then I got into the coaching field. The last three years, um, I got certified as a transformation coach, and um, currently externing at Brooklyn College's Personal Counseling Center as a therapist extern. And I am um, currently my second year as a school in the school side D program at Adelphi University. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So I have two questions. First of all, why did you pick psychology to get into? Actually, if you want to answer that first, and then I'll ask you the second part of the question. Sure. Um, I got into this field because it was my journey. Um, I do, I was interested. I was curious from a young age. I was reading Stephen Covey, Seven Steps to Successful, whatever, and <laughs> and Dale Carnegie, and How to Win Friends and Influence People. I read Les Giblin's book, How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People. More populist stuff, but useful, useful. To speak very simply. They give good stories. I was interested in that from even elementary school, um, but. You know, it became my journey. I had I had to overcome my own challenges, still still overcoming them one step at a time. And this is my journey. And the approach that I've adopted is the approach that has worked the best for myself. So mm -hmm. it's my way of processing what I'm going through is, is my way of I take what I learned and I can help others with it. That's great. And it's also my way of processing things to myself. If I can help others process it, that will further enable myself to process when I need to as well. That is awesome because, well, I went to university and I started in psychology and then I switched over to philosophy and I wanted to go because I was learning more and more about human behavior. I was listening to different interviews with people and the more I became open to learning these things and became more self-aware, I was so excited and I wanted to learn psychology to help others, but also because I wanted to learn so much about how I could, so much about myself as well, and then how to be a better person, a more self-aware person through that process. And when I was in my classes, I, I met with other psychology majors, and they were also on that kind of journey as well. So it's really interesting to see how people, why they get into psychology and, and, and they're very passionate about it, which I love. Um, the second part of my question is, you're a life coach as well. So yeah. is that the same journey that that was another step in something that you kind of wanted to pursue? Um, 
part of it was I was I didn't have the patience to finish my school to kind of get started. It's as simple as that. I patience or just even from a business perspective, I, I did not want to have to wait. Um, part of it, you could say it's a called religious perspective. I don't want God gave me abilities, and I don't feel like I should just need to wait till my ability to impact others till I'm fully the best possible service. I think I can mm-hmm. impact people in positive ways than I have up to this point. Um, so when I decided to go into life coaching, part of it, so again, as a business perspective, just to be able to impact people before I'm fully perfect in every, as a, as a clinician, which never happens. It's always an ongoing process. It's about mm-hmm. meeting your own personal threshold, which I felt like I met. Um, when I originally went to the life coaching, I felt like it was a joke. Um, and for some <laughs> people, I think I still think it is where it's like, I just go in, I call myself a coach. I call myself a certified coach, which has no legal bearing. If you call yourself whatever you want, I specialize in this. It all doesn't mean anything. Um, and when I went into it, it was really a way to boost my resume to help me get into my school ID program, which is very hard to get into. Thank God mm. I got in. Wow. Um, so what changed? You're like, so the Kool-Aid that I drank <laughs> <laughs> was was because I realized there were different roles. I feel like the role of a coach oftentimes is, is in the realm of helping people optimize their lives, helping people get to their goals. And a psychologist, again, this is very rough and very simplistic, but it's the best I, I could really do, is to say that and then psychologists, are fo- their main focus is on mental health. However, mm-hmm. there are many coaches that, that are really therapists and really many therapists that really are coaches. Um, so the terms get all mixed up. And what matters is to me is what do you actually do? And are you competent enough in that space? And are you self-aware so that when you're being affected by your mm-hmm. client in some way, meaning are you self-care? Yes. But also, are you aware when your client's bringing up how lonely and painful they felt are you going to lose control and then you're going to see your client as the one who's lonely and um, as you being um, the parallel to the client where the client now is, is you in that state um, from your past. That's called counter transference. And I think for that, the best way to protect against that is for you to have your own coach, your own therapist who can help you sort and process things. And it will still happen. But now when it happens, you could bring it up to the client and you know what? I realized when I was doing this with you, I, this is what I do. I I bring everything to the table when I'm in session. I'll say when I was when I when I was trying to put so much pressure on you to move out of your house is because I am someone that 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 for me moving out of my house was a very big deal and that's what made a big deal for me and that's why I was kind of affected that way. How do you feel about the fact that the person who was helping you was someone that kind of lost a little bit of control and wasn't thinking fully what was in your best interest? They got a little bit caught up in their own stuff. And then we could talk about it and then we're able to process and work through it. And, and the other end of that is a more authentic relationship as well as modeling for them how to process things when, when these things happen for them. And it's true because even in just in everyday life, you know, if I'm frustrated with somebody else, I'm usually just frustrated with myself more so, right? And so yeah, exactly. I can imagine how that comes out in a therapy session as well. So. Yes. Here's, how, here's, here's how it Sorry. comes out. It's like, so how did that make you feel? When you're saying that I started my session late, well, why is being late so important to you? What's the, why are you criticizing me? You know, what, what about, how are you benefiting from, instead of saying, I started the session late because I was in the middle of eating supper <laughs> and I <laughs> wanted to finish up eating supper and it was a little unprofessional of me. And I apologize for that. <laughs> Step two is that did, that did seem to bother you a lot. And I'm not taking mm-hmm. away from the fact that I am owning it, but let's discuss, let's explore that in addition to that, which both that's a good avenue for a therapist to take. But that aggression is to play the therapy card to absolve myself of my own responsibility from, from my own flaws. So I believe mm-hmm. just bring it all to the table first, you know, give it the respect of t- giving, taking that into consideration. And then you also take it the other angle. In Freudian terms, I say the, the cigar is gonna, is always going to also Uh-oh, just be a cigar. You froze on me. Oh, oh sorry. You so froze for c- a second. <laughs> no worries. Um, so the cigar is always going to be the cigar, but it's also, the cigar is also 
some type of like phallic symbol, or it's also going to be something that's going to be unconscious and deeper that's worth exploring and understanding and processing. I actually had this discussion with my cousin because he was asking, are you dating anyone? I was like, no. I was like, I don't even know how to find people. Uh, <laughs> and I said, it, and I've met different people along the way who are have no understanding um, of themselves. And I said, I'd be looking for somebody who is self-aware. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I didn't know exactly how to explain what self-awareness was. But I, how, how would you actually, do you have a definition for self-awareness? Sure. Um, off the cuff, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. say <laughs> um, self-awareness would be, I mean, being aware, or being understanding of what is going on inside of you, what is driving you, what is motivating you, um, what is getting you to do the things that you are, to be to be able to be the observer of your thoughts, to be to realize there's you, and you can notice how emotions and thoughts are talking to you about what they are telling you to do. Um, I feel like when someone's not self-aware, they just do things, um, and they're not they're not able to consciously articulate or even identify um, what is driving them or what is pushing them to go in a different direction that they are. It's not about making smarter decisions necessarily, but when someone is self-aware, they can then notice, okay, I'm making a decision here totally out of fear or totally out of anger or totally out of a place I want to have a good time. And that is just doing one can just having wanting to have a good time that could be reckless so if i'm not being someone who's self-aware i'll have the opportunity to make a wiser decision by listening to the advice of more of their emotions and more of their thoughts as they're talking so that was more of a lecture that's so good but that's that's what i'll give you see i have a hard time explaining things in words i know it in my head but to actually i'm not very articulate and so (laughs) i don't have those the specific words just to define things I, I find, but you know, it's funny. I get so excited when I realize something and it'll be like, Whoa, Oh, that's why I did that. Or that's why I was frustrated or angry or whatever. And it's just, it's just an exciting journey when you start to understand things and then you know why you did that. And I, I was having a discussion with my friend hope about, philosophy and because psychology comes from philosophy and you know it's uh socrates said know thyself and that always comes down to it right that's like our famous term that we uh quote we like to to say is know thyself know why you do things and why you why your emotions are are getting you to act in a certain way yeah Yeah. you you enjoy the clarity you enjoy the clarity of knowing yourself and I think that clarity has the potential to guide you to make wiser decisions. Because to me, what wisdom is, is the ability to effectively integrate and balance many, many competing good parts of yourself. So when you have a wisdom, you're able to take them all into consideration and find a way to make them the most good for the most aspects of yourself. And overall, not to, in, the, in, the, in the long term, not to neglect the needs of any aspect of yourself. So I think self-awareness is a prerequisite and it's the and it gives you a potential to do that, to create that wisdom for that that clarity that can illuminate you, make wise decisions. Mhm. When I've so I've taken therapy and I remember I years back I used to think it was just somebody who was kind of just going to give me answers. And I was pleasantly surprised when I would sit in therapy and they would be asking me questions to draw, to get me to realize it myself. And so that, so can you expand more on that? Like what is so important about those questions that therapists ask and life coaches and psychologists? Sure. So first thing I do, I do want to clarify that saying you've been to therapies can be like the same thing as saying that you're a coach, um, which means <laughs> it means um, very little um, because there is many different branches of psychology that, that work vastly or even contradictory to one another. 
So let's say, for example, there's ACT, DBT, ABA, um, and all the initials. There's um, EMDR, psychodynamic, psychoanalytic, logotherapy. Um, within psychodynamic, there's Loganian therapy, Winnicottian, Freudian, um, Kleinian. <laughs> that, so to, to say a person's in therapy, it, oftentimes is like, what type of, who's the therapist? And that, that will give you a much better idea of and what what's their modality meaning how they're approaching it just to give you a basic breakdown would be behavioral would be to focus primarily on your behaviors um your actions to focus on things you can measure that you can be held accountable to the clear definitions of success clear definitions of the problem um to you know monitor things to um use behaviors in ways that that, that can it's called behavioral activation to create a, a schedules um, and to find the function of behaviors and then to replace the functions with, with more adaptive, more positive behaviors. The ones that people focus on cognitive fallacies, that meaning your thought process to make sure it's accurate, to make sure it's compassionate, to make sure it's helpful. So take each thought and to see how it falls into different themes and patterns. Um, and then there's going to, you know, to find the dis- cognitive distortions and to, to restructure your, your, your thoughts. And then the, those are modalities that I personally don't um, identify strongly with, to say the least. Um, and then there, there are other approaches which take a an approach which is, in my mind, has a more of a trust of the human design, which is what you're describing. To be more, bring, make sure that you're the one that's bringing the answers. It's based in a belief where the client has all the insight, they have all the knowledge, they have all the answers already, um, they have even all the skills that they need. What they need is they need to be able to help access it. They need to process the, the unprocessed energies and emotions from, from their past. And, and once those things are processed, they will then gain access to those aspects of them that will be able to guide them in the way that they know they need to be guided in. So there's kind of there's this block and the therapist creates a space for a person to process it. And the way that they approach these thoughts and emotions is by seeing each one as rational for the need that it is advocating for. So let's just give an example. If I, right, let's say I come late to the podcast and you're like, Benson Fox, you know, dare you come to the podcast late? Don't you respect me? Don't you respect my time? So that is only listening to like the anger aspect of yourself. But there are many other voices and other voices like, oh, there's technology glitches, understanding. There could be a voice of fear. Maybe I, I may lose this guest, if I act too, if I, if I lash out too much. So there are other voices that can help balance out that voice and be like, Benson, was there a reason why you relate to it? Meaning it, then it helps modify it. And that would be, in my mind, a wise response is an, an emotional decision is listening to one emotion and a rational decision would be listening to many different voices, as many emotions as you can. Um, so each emotion is rational for the need it's advocating for and the way that you could help balance out and make sure that it's the a decision that meets the most needs for the most parts of yourselves is by listening to all the voices and coming with this integration. So this idea of seeing the answers in yourself, the therapist knows that, that I'm with you one hour, once a week. So I do have a greater incentive. I have experience, etc. I use that to facilitate your process, to help you come to your own answers. Not because it's like a good trick, you know, it's like a good, this help, a good trick for human beings. It's based on an awareness of the reality that you know so much more about your life. You are the expert. I am not the expert. You are the expert. I am, in that sense, I am like the, I'm not the authority figure in this, in the, in the session. In a way I am in some aspects, but not in terms of helping you get to those answers. It's my authority is to help guide the session, but it's not in terms of offering you the specific answers because you are the one who has the best answers and you're the one who's most invested in finding them and making sure that they're really right. And is it also because, <laughs> is it also in a little way because they want you to feel like you're smart? <laughs> no, so that's what I was trying to avoid. It's, oh, I, don't, okay. I, I don't see that, that, that there are some people who could do it. They think it's like a good trick. You know, it's a nice like psychological, it's like, it's like a Dale Carnegie. It's like a gimmick. It's like the way you get into the human being, the good way you get in. And it's a good like cheat code that you like. Say good morning. Say good morning, Stephanie. Don't like, oh, now that's like a good way that people appreciate that. People like that. So 
So yeah. it's like a good, like to break the, the human code to make you make them feel good. So that's not, there are people who could do that. And I may be guilty of that at times, but at least to understand that, that it's true. The main reason why to do it is because it's true that you mm. do have answers. Everyone deep down, and I'll, I'll tell you this, and people listening to this could check in for themselves. When someone tells you an insight into yourself, you, the, the truth of the insight, the depth and the complexity of it, okay, there could be smartness to it. But ultimately, what, what's going to make it a good insight for you is the degree that it resonates with you. Meaning, the degree that you already know it to be true for yourself. And that person's just putting a spotlight on something that you know is already there. And they just are, as you said, when you have that clarity, when someone put it into words for you, you're like, wow, that's amazing. But ultimately, what they did, they did not give you something new. They didn't create something for you. They, they just took off the covers of something that you already knew was there. So that's what I mean, that people already have the answers. It's not the brilliance of the psychologist. What it is, the brilliance is helping someone be able to act, to reaccess the parts of themselves that they have denied, repressed, negated, and like shut down. But but it's, it's not the brilliance. It's not in creating and offering something so cool and new. It's the idea of helping them reaccess those those parts of themselves that are missing and disassociated and shame. Wow. <laughs> Can I keep you? You are so good. <laughs> you you have this Thanks. way of bringing out. And you, you say it in such a, you're not using like super fancy words or anything. And you have this way of explaining it so well that I wish I could just keep you and like, <laughs> say here, Benson, explain. <laughs> sure, we could do this again. I don't mind. I'm enjoying this too. I like your personality. Thank you. Yeah. Giving so, it a lot of life. Actually, in uh, earlier, you mentioned self-care. Yeah. And it's funny because way back uh, when I was living in Toronto, I thought because self-care to me at the time was just doing things that I wanted to like, okay, I'm going to take today and just watch TV. I'm going to eat some junk food because it makes me feel good. And I'm just taking care of myself. And then I realized later on, mm, that's not self-care. <laughs> self-care is doing things that actually make you better. And like, going for a walk and eating healthier food and stuff like that. So do you find people have a misunderstanding of self-care sometimes? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I'm not the I, only one. <laughs> yes. I am totally on board with this. This is, oh, that good. Was, I, was felt, I felt very validated from what you said. <laughs> so I think the confusion is really rooted in what self-love looks like. Um, people don't know what self-care looks like because they're trying to act in sync with love for themselves, but they don't even know what that would, they don't even have a map of what self-love looks like. So what ends up being self-care becomes synonymous with self-indulgence, which is just going with whatever makes you feel good in the minute. It's a very short-term way of thinking that can have, that in the long-term there are costs. So I'll eat the junk food, but eating junk food consistently can make you be more weight than you, than you care for. It will make you have lower energy overall, makes your, Sugar spike down, moods go up and down, etc. So it's, it's in the moment it feels good, and it, and it has a use. It could give you a boost of energy if you're right before a workout to have some sugar is a good idea, but but it's not good as a as a lifestyle. Too much of anything is out of balance, and imbalance is always going to be the problem. Um, so I'll tell you what my perspective is: is that so self care becomes synonymous with self indulgence, which there's nothing wrong with indulgence. I'm not I'm not here to, to, to pass judgment on it. But a lifestyle of indulgence will have long-term costs. And you have to be aware that those costs and make sure that those costs are in sync with your priorities, which will be poor physical health, poor energy levels, um, mood swings, etc. That will be a result of leading that lifestyle. If you're willing to pay those costs, then that's fine. Um, to me, there's a concept of self-love. And self-love, and, and this is another thing. People are afraid of self-love because they, they're afraid it'll lead to complacency. They're afraid that if I give up if I start loving myself and I just accept myself who I am, I won't want to change. And th there's nothing that's further from the truth. If you truly loved yourself, you want the best possible success for yourself. And the way that Jordan Peterson says it, which I thought I think is brilliant, he says self-love is when you take care of yourself as if you are the one who you are responsible to care for. Meaning, let's say I was taking care of you and I was responsible to care for you. 
that is the same way that I would take care of myself. So would I, would I be a, a tyrant and say every time you do something wrong, get bad and, and, and shame you and attack you every single thing? There's a place for shaming when you do something that's totally out of line. But, but as an approach, as a, as a pattern, it would be nurturing. It would be encouraging, but it would also have certain level of respect. And that, and that comes with expectations of, of certain basic standards that, you, that you're expected to fulfill. But overall, it's an encouraging, loving, compassionate approach where you're looking to build up the person. So that's how you approach yourself. So when you say self-love, you do acts of self-care. It's going to be things that you, you, you should do things that will meet your short-term and long-term needs, which could include the bubble bath while watching Netflix, while getting a massage <laughs> with the cream on the, what's it called? The a pedicure while having like the mask. I don't know what it's called. Oh, um, the face masks. Face masks. Yeah. While, <laughs> while. Where it's like green and you look like an alien. <laughs> exactly. With the aromatherapy, the cucumbers on the eyes, while listening to your favorite music, <laughs> with ice cream, your favorite Ben and Jerry's, whatever. So, so is there a place for that? Yes, there is, but not as a lifestyle. Self-care is meeting, is, is meeting in my view, the definition being not self-indulgence, it'd be meeting all of your needs. And mm. some people... That what that can look like is making sure that your personal needs of your physical health, your and you're just doing things that you enjoy, having hobbies, having things that you do on, that you enjoy on a regular basis, behavioral activations, if you may. Um, doing those on a regular basis is, I think, an element of meeting your needs. But that's not the definition. That's one part of your needs, and that doing that all the time is not either going to be good for yourself. So it's about meeting self-care. In my view, is meeting all of your needs, and that is what you would do if. If you self-loved yourself, meaning took care of yourself as if you're the one who is responsible for, meaning, but you are the one, you are the ultimate, the, the person you, that you, the ultimate responsibility is on yourself. So mm. it's not as if it, it, you are, you are the one that's has the, that ultimate level of responsibility for making sure that all of your needs are being met. That is so true because when I did think that that was self-care, I was not healthy and I was not, I didn't even... Yeah, I didn't believe that I was worthy of anything. So that was really just self-medicating uh, on bad food and binge-watching TV because I really had such a low view of myself. And I didn't think I was worth anything to take care of myself in that way. So, yeah, but yeah, and but yeah, you're right. There is there is that balance where, yeah, I'll have those days now where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do anything and I'll just you know, watch TV, but now I'm able to stop myself and I don't continuously go through that. Yeah. I mean, cause one of your needs is also self-actualization, right? Maslow has his like five oh, yeah. layers of needs. Mm-hmm. One of the needs is to fulfill your potential and the bubble baths and all that stuff. That's not, that's not going to bring out your full potential in this world. You're going to part of your potential. I come from a spiritual perspective that you're meant to, fully manifest and actualize your identity and strengths in this world to create a maximum impact to fulfill God's plan for you in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I call Hashem's plan for you in this world. And I, cause I think the grand plan of things is going to be the objectively the best good for the most, most people to become creators of this in this world. So I think that is what our soul's needs, I think, are one of the needs that you need to self-care. That is to produce and to create and to be adventurous and imaginative and to dream and to accomplish and to, to get certain results and pour in efforts that in efforts that are in sync with where, where with where your strengths and abilities lie. Mm-hmm. I actually have, this is not necessarily psychology, although I guess part of it is, but you know that, do you know the law of attraction? Like in when people are talking about like the book, my the secret, there's those different laws in the world. So there's a law of attraction where if you go towards something um, that you want, those things will kind of come towards you as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Is there so? At least now. I, sorry. At least at least now I'm I'm, I'm aware. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then I've heard because, okay, so I grew up in a very negative environment. And then I always thought everything bad happened to us. And I was wondering if there's something in our psychology, in our brain, that's like, if you're looking at it more positively, those things will 
the world around you becomes more positive? Is it only because it's in our mind that we're making it more positive or do things also become more positive because we're going towards that? Do you know what I'm saying? And does that make sense? <laughs> um, I and think do you I know? Do. I think I do, but you'll let me know if I misunderstood. Okay. Um, okay. I think the energies that we exude in this world will attract people who are of the same elk and will attract people who are hungry for that. Um, so if we, if we carry with ourselves a positive energy, you're going to attract people who are starving for that positive energy. And then you're also going to attract people who have similar types of positive energy. Yes. Okay. That's definitely true. Yes, that's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> I didn't know if there's any psychological part of that, but it, um, it think, all kind of connects, right? Psychology yeah. connects with like everything in life. I believe so. I mean, the definition, as you said, like psychology could be like the offshoot of philosophy. Like philosophy is like the why of reality. And like yeah. psychology is the why of human nature. Yep. So actually, oh, sure. sorry. What, uh, so there's, there's like a whole bunch of different branches in psychology. Which ones are you most, do you find the most interesting? Um, what resonates with me is an approach where we see every part of ourselves in the right dose and context. Um, we see every part of us ourselves as good and it's advocating for a specific need and don't see, when we call things as symptoms, right? I'm, I'm suffering from depression. No, you're su what you're suffering from is that you're not loved. Mm. You're, you're not. Depression is is part of the answer. It's the way that you're coping with it. Is to me, depression is an anesthetic. Thank God for depression, because if you didn't have depression, the amount of pain that you'd be experiencing would be too much for you to cope and handle in this world. So therefore, God gave us this gift to kind of lower the doses of how much emotions we're able to experience. We're having an anxiety attack, uh, you know, or a panic attack. No, your anxiety is not attacking. Your panic is not attacking you. What you're having is a, pa a anxiety defense, <laughs> a panic mm. defense, meaning that your, your anxiety is being spiked. Your fear is, is activated. It's like a home alarm system. It's being activated because there's a threat to you. So it's defending wow. you. It's warning you that they have a threat. Now, it could be that in the given situation, there are reasons why it could be overactivated. So we could discuss that separately. But but intrinsically, the you can trust your unconscious to guide you that it's coping and it's doing everything in your best interest. And 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 this with this approach, it makes us it makes me question what where what where do I fit in? It's like I'm I'm programming against myself because it's like a therapist is like our coach is meant to intervene. And like, and like stop their depression. It's like, so where's my role? Like if they're getting depressed, maybe if someone's carrying a shield, should I be taking away their shield? The, it's something that's helping them exist. It's helping something that's helping protect them. That's the approach that resonates with me because I, because I come partly from a religious perspective where we see every trait as something that is a gift from God. That everything mm -hmm. is not meant, there's no part of us that's meant to be suppressed or repressed in the long term. We to be exiled and eliminated in the long term. Um, in the short term, it could be is overwhelmed and you need to push things aside to just function day to day. In the long term, every part of yourself, every they're all advisors that are guiding you in a good way. And they're energies that are meant to be channeled that will, in my view, actualize God's will in this world or to you know, from a more secular perspective to, to maximize your impact and to um, become the best you, the best version of yourself, which I think the best version of yourself will be every version of yourself to listen to every, every voice inside of you, the darkest and the most um, things that you see as the most disgusting in the world and the parts of you, which I think we all have. And there's going to be parts of us that are more righteous and more pure and more innocent than we could possibly even imagine for us to be. And I wow. think po both polarities, we need to learn that, that we are, we don't just have the potential for those aspects of ourselves. We are already the most darkest part and the most light, you want to call it the positive energy part. And, and, and we just need to learn to find, to listen, to receive all of their messages and to bring them. And that will guide us to make this wisdom decision to balance all of their needs that they're advocating for. Wow.
I like what you said um, about perspective. And I've been thinking about something like um, recently where I remember growing up and people would ask me, um, why do bad things happen to good people? And because I'm a Christian and I, I, you know, people would ask me like these <laughs> like intense questions that I didn't know. <laughs> but yeah. it's interesting because over the last few years, I've been listening to different people and, and learning that our difficulties are good because, but I guess it depends if you learn from them or not. And it's about how you perceive them. Because if I look at the things that happened to me and I look at it from a perspective of like, well, look what God did to me and look what's happening. And, oh, I'm really angry and I'm just going to let that make me angry and bitter for the rest of my life. But if I take the perspective of there is good in what I've been through because it has shaped me into the person I am and I'm able to have empathy and and maybe even I've had people come up to me because I've dealt with certain things and they are able to share that they're also dealing with that and they feel that they can come talk to me because they know I've been through it. And so it, it's really interesting when you look at the different perspectives, right? And, um, and yeah. that's kind of also where psychology comes in, right? Like it's, or when you're meeting, let's say with a psychotherapist, which is somebody I've, I've met with. Um, they're trying to help you understand from a, a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do. It's called mentalization the ability mm. to understand other people's thoughts, feelings, experiences, um, to access that so you, that you could better understand them. Um, I'm tempted to go in the philosophy direction now. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, no, because the truth is, is that our, I think there's an arbitrary distinction when people make this distinction between spirituality, religion, and psychology. That mm-hmm. as if our, our ability to feel good is something that, that we can just bring into just the realm of our physical selves. I think that's a mistake. Um, I think it's a major part of, of people's lives, and um, it's arbitrary. I think what people are afraid of is people imposing their religious beliefs. But if you and your psychologists are aligned with your beliefs, I believe it's very important to integrate that into the sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of ther- psychotherapists and a lot of people don't know how to integrate their spiritual and physical selves. And it's their own confusion and their own fears of not knowing how to do that. that they don't know how to really help others with that as well. Um in terms of the question, I think that God made us not be able to understand the answer to this. I think there are a lot of very smart things you could say, but ultimately, I think the answer is we don't know. And I think and I think that the reason why Hashem or God doesn't want us to know the answer is because if we were to know the answer, we wouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. We would sit back and be like, God, God is just, the world is good. God is unchanging. The God is good. God's plan is brilliant and thought out to the to the teeth. Why would I do anything? So it's our and Gashem or God wants us to act on perceived injustices, which are not unjust, but for us to live on the plane of seeing them as unjust, in order for us to um, in order for us to become our own creators and to build up the, our traits and to be manifest and to build our own identities. In order for us to do that, God needs us to perceive them as injustice, to act as a catalyst to bring us to act in a way to bring them to justice. And God has enough. He's the grand chess master. So you do your own moves. It ends up as a checkmate. So God's ultimate will will be will happen regardless if you just don't move your pieces at all or if you just decide to move them all forward. And no matter you do the Scandinavian defense or you do the Queen's Gambit. It doesn't matter. God will ultimately get the, the end result of having the world being brought back to completion. Um, so, so, but God wants us for our benefit to act in sync as if it was a perceived injustice. And that's why God needs to make us created an intellectual barrier or limitation that we're not able to access the ultimate truth in, in, in that realm. That's so good because yeah, there's so many things <laughs> 
And I don't know what it's like in the Jewish faith. I'm sure it's the same. But with Christianity, like, there's all this different theology, and then people fight over who's right and who's wrong. And blah. And I, I said, I'm thinking, well, I, I think a lot of it is maybe we just don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are just these finite creatures, and God is infinite. We're not, a, first of all, how... Maybe he just was like, it's too complicated for you all to know. <laughs> right? I love the humility. <laughs> I love the humility. And I think it's so important because um, imagine if you, you tried to challenge Albert Einstein on the theory of relativity. <laughs> and you'd be like, well, no. it doesn't make sense to me because how does this work with that? People would be like, are you a scientist? Like, <laughs> do you realize his IQ is like the highest of the last like century? Like, who do you think like you to challenge Albert Einstein in this? But imagine, imagine the one who created Albert Einstein's mind, God. So for some reason we, we have arrogance. And what I mean by arrogance is outside our realm of competency. We're mm-hmm. well outside our realm of competency to be challenging God's notions of what is righteous and just. If he created our minds, imagine what his mind is. Right. Um, it's, it's outside the realm of, of where we're competent, meaning it's outside the realm of our abilities. So by us guessing and, and saying clever things, but we're not really swimming in waters where we're the experts in because we're not, we're not the experts of humanity. The creator of humanity is. So I think the humility just helps us act in sync with our competency. And I think that is the, where I draw the line of where it's, it's, hum, it's hubris and, or, you know, where it's, where it's too much. And where, where it's like, okay, to, to go up to a point where you're, where you're still working within your realm of clarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and it's also helpful because I think if we're all, some people get so stuck on that. I have to know. I have to research. I have to find the answer. Well, calm down. I mean, sometimes <laughs> some of these people go a little bit cuckoo. Um <laughs> It's okay. You know, it's okay to say we don't know. And actually, that's one thing, even in my own life. Uh, I, I grew up in a very, um, I don't even know how to explain it. But my dad's very uh, passionate about what he believes in. And so it's like, well, I always believe, you know, my dad must be right about everything. And so over the years, I thought I knew so many things. Then I was just like, it's okay. I don't know. And that's the best answer I can give because if I'm wrong, you know, and most of the time, cause I was so stuck in this one little box, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I've opened my mind to be like, Oh, just because I thought it was like this, uh, actually, maybe it's not. And so it, it's, it's actually quite freeing to just be like, Hey, it's cool. I don't know what the real answer is and that's fine. It's right? beautiful. Yeah, you're you're I could see that you have like a maturity to your perspective oh, on your journey. Yeah. Thank you. I, <laughs> I always I remember being like in my teens and twenties and I was like, I wanna be that person who has because I, I would see people who just seem to be chill about things and I was very like uptight and like, well, no, this is the right answer and this is what you know. And I, but I was so also just didn't know who I was and I wasn't self-aware at all. And I would say things and upset people and I'm like, Oh, whoops, I didn't know. And so it's, it's so exciting to see this journey when you, you get older and you're just like, Oh, you know, things just click. (laughs) And that's why I say people, I'm so happy to be getting older because I'm learning so much. I wouldn't want to go back to when I was a teenager in my twenties and my thirties, even when I was really just completely clueless to so much. And I'm still completely clueless. And, you know, we're always learning until we die. So (laughs) that's the exciting part of life. You're always learning. If you're open to it, you have to be open to it. That's true. I'm just going back to you. I wanted to touch on a point that you said about that people get very stuck on like wanting to know the answers. And I need to know. I need to know. I, I think that where that can come from is it's a distrust of our unconscious. It's a distrust of, of allowing, what do you, what does, what do your experiences say? What are your emotions? How do you feel about it? And so there's a, that distrust. And, and unless I could take a piece of paper and like take, like um, connect the dots, step one, step two, step three of, 
the you know the different approaches the logical approaches and the meta 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 this you know meta uh, the thinking is logic logical is and going all the way back instead of just thinking does this feel right to me does what does my intuition say what do my experiences mm-hmm. help me help me so that it's a distrust of that such a when well, well probably because they had a lot enough pain in their life where they've developed a distrust they felt they blamed their life circumstance where your intuition guided you to make the best decisions it could of the available options, um, which means that its decisions would have high costs. And you, in that pain, it's easy to take that pain and to blame the intuition, blame the unconscious for guiding you to make those decisions. When hmm. if it would have made the other decision, it would have had a, a higher cost, likely based on what I felt in the, in the moment. Um, and, and therefore you feel need. So you're like, okay, forget the unconscious, forget the intuition. Let me just see what I could put on a piece of paper. And you'll realize that that's very limited. You're very, very limited with how far you could go with that. And ultimately you're not going to end up with the answers. Um, and the answer is to feel, I think the answer is to realize that to have a compassionate and really a realistic lens of intuition did the best it could. It was the smartest decision with the information that you had of the available options that you're given and have a gratitude that do you like the person you are today? Well, if you do to the degree that you do, who's, who gets the, the praise for that? Who gets the credit? How many decisions do we make consciously and how many decisions do we make unconsciously? It's overwhelmingly less conscious. And if your intuition guided you to the place you are today and you like where you are today, then maybe let's have a little gratitude and let's try to foster back that trust of the unconscious to not need to be able to trust our experience. And mm. if it feels right in, in a real way, then it to be able to consciously connect the dots and the plans and the schedules and the order and the lists and the meta, 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 meta. That's awesome. I love that. You know, I was having a discussion with this other woman. Um, we were talking about emotional abuse and she's a survivor. And we were talking about women's intuition. And I was always told women are too emotional. Like basically... We have no logic, no reason. We're just emotions. That's how I was kind of brought up. And <laughs> and I was emotional, but I was also, I'm a, a highly sensitive person and an empath, an introvert. So that I kind of thought there was something wrong with me, you know, because I'm too emotional. Well, I was also immature in my emotions. So I, I we just get emotional about everything. But I was, we were talking about how we need to listen to those especially as a female, you know, if you're in a dangerous situation, uh, listen to that, you know? And so, yeah, we need to trust ourselves and listen to those voices in our head, not the crazy ones, but the good ones <laughs> that say, you know, listen to this one or there's danger here or something. Right. Yes. So, yes. And I think, I think many women do make, I think men are, have more of a tendency to, to, to overly rely on conscious thought and women have a more dependency on or, or the way that they, they conceptualize things will be more trusting of their unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are pros and cons to both. I think the pros of the conscious approach is that you could point to it. It's clear that what it is, is true, but the limitations of it, um, and it's less likely to be a, a bias because you mm-hmm. can clearly point to things. Um, and an unconscious thing is, is, is you're dealing with something that's, a, I think your unconscious is far more brilliant, laser fast, um, processing speed, unlimited memory, effortless. But on the other hand, the cost of it is that you need to be very attuned to know, is this coming from a place of that this feels right? Meaning I call it the CEO, but the, the one who's the true essence is, does it feel right to that part, to the part of yourself that's the core essence of yourself? Or is it just coming from a place that you're only listening to one voice, the voice of anger, the anger, the voice of fear, the voice of fun, um, whatever that one voice is. And that's what I say. That's what I was saying before. An emotional decision is only listening to that one voice. That's not that is not a good way to make decisions, but you're more susceptible to make a decision from that place if you can't see concretely how you came to that point. Mm-hmm. So that's the advantage of like the more I think the more masculine, very conscious on paper type of thinking. And the benefits of the unconscious, but then there's the potential cost of the bias being more likely to affect and coming from a more, quote unquote, irrational, which I see as rational, but only to one part of yourself. Right. 
Yeah, you need that balance of yeah. not just relying on emotion or intuition, but also having reasons and yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you 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 said it so well. <laughs> Thank you. That is amazing. This has been so much fun, Benson. I have really enjoyed chatting with you. And thank, thank you, you so too. much for coming on. Uh, sure. The Stuff sure Up thing. Podcast. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is wonderful. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Benson Fox for coming on. We had a great chat and he was able to answer all of my questions. I'm sure I took him by surprise with some of them. Like, what is she talking about? But uh, he handled it like a pro. <laughs> And if you want to get in contact with Benson, here's his information. Yeah, I'd be happy to help anyone who's looking for, for any type of assistance. They're looking to have joy, balance, and harmony with themselves and then eventually the world. The way you can find me is at Coach Benson Fox on Instagram and CoachBensonFox.com website. And you go to LinkedIn at, at Benson Fox. Um, yeah, that's where, that's where you could find me. And, um, you can email me at results at coachbensonfox.com and we could see, you know, see if we're a good fit. You could go for a free consultation and see if I'm, if I'm the right person to help you to bring joy, balance and harmony to your life. I can imagine you're a great fit for most people. You're just very easy to talk to and you have such a great mind and you have this empathy, like an understanding of people's issues. So. I mean, I would definitely go to go to you for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, awesome. I I hope so. And yeah, I'm always trying to you know try to improve and learn from people like you, uh, how to make myself better. So, thank you, Benson. I'm very excited for our April first, April Fools. Ha ha ha! Something true is coming our way. So check it out. You guys can uh, subscribe, rate, review the podcast. It definitely helps to get other listeners to uh, find me. Check me out on Facebook at Stuff Up Podcast, Instagram Stuff Up underscore podcast. My email is stuffuppodcast at gmail.com. And check out my blog at stuffuppodcast.com. I blog through the different uh, different topics we go through and the different issues. And yeah, leave a comment. Actually, if there's any topics that you guys want to hear about, contact me. Let me know. I hope you go out there and make it a great day. 